every relationship you have, every activity that you're engaged in, every group that you're a part of, there's shadow contents that are there always. Getting Discomfortable with Aaron Rogerson. Today's guest is an artist and musician turned podcaster and facilitator at The Stoa, where I also do sessions. Aaron's work has quickly become synonymous with the concept of the shadow, which I think has a lot of connections with what interests me and with shame. So I wanted to have Aaron on to explore the connection between shadow and shame. So Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, AJ. Thanks for having me. So I'm curious to know what your journey has been into the shadow. Like how how did your how did you get into shadow work or how did you get into your own shadow? What's that been like? So the concept of the shadow is useful. Um, it's a metaphor and it's a really useful metaphor. And metaphors already are useful because they're accessible, right? So you can try to explain a complex idea using a lot of jargon, a lot of technical jargon, and you'll lose people. And that's, and that's a problem mm-hmm. when you're engaging in therapeutic work is that people need to know what you're talking about. So the shadow is accessible. You say it and people know what you mean, or at least they have some idea of Mm -hmm. what you're kind of getting at. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily a term that I had played with for a very long time. Um, I've definitely been a thinker and been a bit of a philosopher for most of my life, I would say. I'm kind of inclined towards that direction of asking big questions and wanting to know like why things work and what's the meaning of life and all that. But more recently, uh, trying to get into actually communicating with people about these ideas and making it so they understand what you're talking about. And you can provide concrete examples and you can say, it's kind of like this and they get it. That's really useful and really important. So the shadow as a metaphor that implies the contents that are in the unconscious that are under the surface that we're blind to, the kinds of things that we tend to ignore, the the kind of contradictions that come up into our life story that we want to deny and say, no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. Um, We all have that. It's all Mm -hmm. a big part of our journey. It's all a big part of our struggles in our relationships and our trajectories. And the shadow is just a great symbol for encapsulating that idea of under the surface, mm-hmm. blind, dark spots in our being. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm seeing ideas like the unconscious, um, repression, mm-hmm. um, and, and shame as well yeah, as yeah, definitely. a kind of like motivator <laughs> towards pushing things below the surface of our consciousness. Mm-hmm. Is, is it always is it always unpleasant in the shadow or can it also just be other things that we're just not aware of? I like to use a kind of broad definition with the shadow. I mean, people will argue about this. You know, people will have very narrow definitions of things and some people will have more broad general definitions. I kind of prefer the general definition, which is it's really anything that we're not aware of mm-hmm. or anything that we're not paying attention to normally or anything as the image suggests that's always kind of behind us like no matter where you look right you can't see behind you 
And even, mm-hmm. if you, even if you turn around, what's behind you has changed and you're not looking at it anymore. And the shadow is always kind of behind us. Like we make changes in our life, we come to certain realizations, but in doing so, we start to ignore something else that needs our attention. Mm-hmm. And so it's this constant dance with the shadow of trying to catch it and trying to bring it into our vision. And we always fail. And it's like a lifelong journey mm-hmm. of getting better and better at that dance. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, what has your personal journey been with shadow? Has there Was there an epiphany that got you into shadow work? Or was it a concept that really intrigued you? And then you started to kind of work backwards into your own shadow? Yeah, I, I mean, I've done a lot of self-work I think my life has really been defined by change. I, I do think that I'm a person who transforms. And looking back at myself when I was 15 and looking at myself now, it's like I've changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Like people would not recognize me at 15 uh, unless they knew me back then. And then they've gotten to kind of see the full journey. Um, but studying yourself, really trying to make sense of why you're struggling, w- making sense of why you're failing at things, why you feel terrible. Um, Definitely romantic relationships have been a big driver of trying to understand who I am and be like, why did this happen? Why did this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. disaster, why did this, <laughs> this thing that kind of like took over my life and then sort of destroyed it, why did that happen to me? Um, and you begin to understand there's like things about yourself that you don't actually understand. You don't actually know who you are. There's so much mystery in your own behavior. And you ask yourself, why am I repeating these bad cycles? Why am I getting together with the same girl over and over again and it ends the same way? It's like there's actually a lot about myself that I don't understand and how do I get to know myself better? And so that, that's where shadow work really comes into play is acknowledging the mystery of self, acknowledging that most of who I am is actually below the surface and I can't access it very well. Mm-hmm. And so that's, mm-hmm. there's a natural progression to wanting to develop more and more tools for understanding who you are and why you do the things you do and why you want the things you want. Um, And I think it's just a very natural progression for anyone who's very sincere about trying to heal or become better or even just get the things that you want Mm -hmm. out of life. And again, more recently, that has kind of um, concretized, you might say, into actual interactions with people, um, like these Zoom events that we're doing at the STOA, and um, definitely working with Alyssa, who's my co-host of the Golden Shadow podcast. She's someone who's very into Yun. And so she's been a huge influence in kind of using this language of the shadow and exploring these more uh, quote-unquote woo-woo practices maybe mm-hmm. that are kind of aimed at getting into these unconscious contents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It does seem like there's a lot of imagination tools around the shadow, which I think for some people probably feels made up or silly or embarrassing or something, but it really does seem to be a powerful entryway into the shadow. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, yeah. The The language of the unconscious and the language of the shadow, you might say, is one of mythology and symbol mm-hmm. and that's why we don't notice it. That's why we don't pay attention to it is because we just sort of think it's just, um, it's just fairy tales and uh, nonsense and childish fantasizing. But it really is actually the language of the unconscious. And so you need to learn to talk to the unconscious or allow it to speak by engaging in these exercises that might be 
you know, mythological play where you sort of imagine your life as a story or you imagine yourself as a character or you engage in um, games like, maybe game's not the right word, but you, you know, tarot cards are very popular right now. Mm. And tarot is sort of this framework, this sort of self-contained framework for articulating unconscious contents through symbolism. Mm -hmm. And you find, if you can open yourself up to that, that you actually do begin to get in touch with all this stuff that's under the surface. And that's why it's so powerful, but also so difficult for people, especially who would consider themselves to be rationalists or very scientific. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of resistance in this, mm -hmm. in this realm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the challenges, kind of building a bridge between the woo and the rationalism. I'm imagining that there is a rational explanation for this, probably in evolutionary psychology, maybe mm. something around the way our more primitive mind processed information not being quite at the logical level of our prefrontal cortex. I'm, mm. I'm thinking like the limbic system and the amygdala probably communicate in a symbolic, visual, emotional way. That's just like, that's what that area of the brain is capable of. And that might be how slightly more rudimentary animals actually think. Does that sound like a kind of logical explanation for why the shadow is so symbolic and so emotional and so mysterious? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's accurate. I think that um, what we tend to think of nowadays as being in touch with reality is sort of this notion of logic and uh, being very abstract and kind of seeing the world as this sort of place of materials and stuff. And um, it really ignores a deeper, more primordial relationship with reality that is actually um, more natural to us. It, it's certainly earlier in the evolutionary time span. Um, the, I mean, the whole idea... The, the idea of the ego, and this is, you know, a, a big concept as well, but the ego is sort of evolutionarily a recent thing. Mm. It's sort of this, this consciousness, this, uh, this thing that picks up on, um, objects around us and kind of makes up a story about those objects. The ego is not really the self. The ego is sort of this higher abstracted self. Most of us is really embodied and the human body is, you know, billions of years, um, old as far as evolution goes and there's all this circuitry within us that's very um primitive you might say mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's stupid it's just it's operating at, at a different a different level it's communicating with the environment differently it's very it's very embodied it's very feeling and we tend nowadays maybe out of desperation we, we tend to abstract out of the body mm -hmm. in order to navigate our strange modern world mm -hmm. and that really is not a natural way of being. And it's easy to forget that because it's so normal, mm -hmm. but it's really kind of foreign to us. Even you and I having this conversation right now over the internet, we're not very embodied. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a very unnatural <laughs> experience that you and I are having with each other. <laughs> it's true. And it would, it, would, it would be much, we could communicate so much better with each other if we were actually sitting together. And even, you know, holding hands or something, like mm -hmm. there would be so much information that would come through that would be under the surface. And I think that we forget that. Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. I have to admit that your voice is very kind of melodic and, and deep and whispery. And like there were points <laughs> where you were talking where I just sort of like stopped thinking and was like being lulled <laughs> into a dreamlike state. <laughs> so so there's something there's something intimate about hearing you, but I mm. definitely feel like 
if we were together, it would be a different experience, like much more intense probably and, and more meaningful or impactful somehow. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, like what is, so we're connecting with this deeper, primitive, not stupid, just like different part of us. And mm-hmm. what is the what is the purpose of that? What is the upside of that? The upside of connecting with it? Yeah, what is the upside of connecting with the shadow? Well, you're connecting with yourself. And again, the majority of you, the majority of what we are, what we can call the self is unconscious. Mm-hmm. It's really the majority of us. The majority of us is in our body. Mm-hmm. This, this higher up uh, thinking function is really a small part of us. So if you can get in touch with the shadow, if you can get in touch with these unconscious contents, if you can get in touch with the things that you're not paying attention to, and you know, it, it, that's just very basic. I mean, that, that, that's true for everyone. Even if, if, even if you consider yourself to be a very healthy, very functional um, person, you still have a shadow. There's still a lot about you that you're not in touch with, that you're not paying attention to, because you can't. It's too complex. And mm-hmm. you're not programmed necessarily to, to be feeling all of your emotions all the time at once. You know, you might collapse into a blob if you did that. But even in addition to just getting to know more of you, getting in touch with more of who you really are in the shadow, there's also a lot of pain and mm-hmm. trauma and mm-hmm. repressed energy that we have buried inside ourselves as um a direct result of maturing into adults and having to function in a very strange world. And so doing shadow work, getting in touch with the shadow is going to hopefully, and it's not a given and and it can be very dangerous too. And it's it's important to note that the shadow work can kind of be something you need to be careful with, but there's a huge advantage in reclaiming lost parts of yourself Mm-hmm. the the little the little boys that are sort of lost in the caves of yourself mm-hmm. is kind of a metaphor I use a lot where you you can kind of journey down to those catacombs where you've forgotten you know the eight year old you who was more feeling and more playful and more open and saw the world as a more beautiful place of potential that little boy has been lost and with shadow work maybe you can go down into those caves and pick him up and hug him and say, it's okay to come out now and bring him back. Mm-hmm. And you're actually sort of reclaiming yourself, reclaiming parts of who you are that you lost for whatever reason. And I think that's, there's, there's some truth to that process for all of us. There's parts of us that we've lost mm-hmm. that we need to reclaim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely resonate with that. And I've found on my journey into shame that self-awareness, as I've been calling it, is is so key is perhaps is perhaps the whole thing is to just be able to look at myself and all the things that my shame says I either can't be or shouldn't be mm-hmm. but am or or might be and see them for what they are and then say okay what can I do with this like what's the upside to this and what happens if I talk about this like mm-hmm. what happens if I say but I am this. And then I find other people say, oh, actually, I kind of am too. And then there's like, I don't know, there's, I feel more self-trust, self, more more wholeness. Um, it's like th- there's less places in me that I could be stabbed or hurt because I'm like, I see that vulnerability and I'm kind mm-hmm. of owning it. And 
and I can like show it and protect it more easily when I'm aware of it right. than when I deny its existence. Right, and that's a, that's a perfect illustration of of shadow work and and the shadow. And I think that shame is certainly a good way to describe what we're doing or or, or what's happening to us or the process at least of banishing yourself mm-hmm. for some reason. Who knows what happened to you? Maybe maybe you actually did do something that was really shameful. Maybe you didn't do anything that was shameful, and you're just sort of being told that by someone else, or you're telling yourself that. And mm-hmm. you know, I've I've definitely shamed myself throughout my entire life. That's been something I've had mm-hmm. to, to work on. Is that yeah. I've punished myself over and over again for things that really aren't that big a deal. Me too. And I've had to come to terms with why, why am I doing that? Why why am I telling myself that I'm bad when really no one else is actually telling me? It's just me. Um, and you know, shame as this self banishment where you've said this part of me doesn't belong or this part of me isn't good. It needs to go away and you bury it and you pretend that it it can't, it can't be present anymore and you kind Mm -hmm. of cast it out and there can be this sort of trick you play on yourself where you, where you say, I've actually gotten rid of that part of me. It's gone, Mm -hmm. but it's not Mm -hmm. gone. It's just implicit now. It's just out of your awareness and when it's out of your awareness, you can't engage with it anymore. And instead, it's just going to manifest in all these um, unmanaged, uncontrolled ways that are really inappropriate at inappropriate times. And that's that's part of the important concept is, as, as you're saying, the, the more that we can bring awareness to these lost parts of ourselves or these banished parts of ourselves, we can actually engage with those parts. And we can, we can say, I know we don't get along you know, banished part of me, but like we can work mm-hmm. on this. And, you know, if you're hurting, you can tell me and we can kind of like have a conversation about it. Whereas if you just cut them off, it's going to almost develop a mind of its own mm-hmm. and your shamed self is going to start behaving badly and you won't even have any control over it because you won't be aware of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've heard it said, and it feels true in my experience that these banished parts, these repressed parts, these shadow parts these shamed parts can actually in a way have more power because of the lack of awareness we have about Mm. them. Like the things that are in the shadow can be even more powerful than when we bring them into the light of conscious self-awareness. Does that resonate with you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And, um, the, the things that we refuse or deny ourselves that really, need to be expressed there's there's so much for that actually is like really wants to come out and the more that we fight it the more we push it down the more kind of shadow energy we give it the more we try to push something away from us the more you're kind of stretching the the bond you know stretching the rubber between you and this banished part of you and it becomes this really tense uh torsion that can kind of rip you apart mm-hmm. so that's the, the more we repress, the more power we're actually giving to the thing that we're repressing and the, the less control we're having over it and the less, um, the less ability we are, are developing to have a conversation with this part of us. Mm-hmm. So I think that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And there's this relief that I feel when I'm finally able to own something that I wasn't able to own before mm-hmm. and say, that it's okay, not not that I necessarily want to submit to it or lean into it, but that it's okay that it's there or that that it exists. Mm-hmm. There's just like this, like, 
this deep relief of like, oh, I don't have to be on guard all the time about that thing. I don't, I don't have to constantly be hiding it, avoiding it, running from it, pretending like it doesn't exist, doing the opposite, like all of these strategies. Right. It's so liberating. Yeah, I think we, we waste a lot of energy yeah. running away from ourselves. Oh, yeah. So much energy, so much bandwidth in my brain over the years that I have spent trying to manage things that would have been more easily managed through just kind of like honest awareness and and transparency. Right, right, exactly. And that's that's an important dynamic here. It's, it's kind of a universal thing because you, you can apply this idea to all kinds of different uh, patterns, different realms of uh, humanity, society, but you can spend so much energy trying to deny something or, or try to make it so that this thing doesn't exist, that something that you don't want to be around, just trying to keep it under a box or behind a mm-hmm. fence or something. You can mm-hmm. spend so much energy. And if you would actually just let it out and say, hey, we don't get along, or I know that we haven't been on the best of terms, but what's what's negotiate <laughs> yeah exactly let's find some way for us to get along you can see that applied in all kinds of ways i mean you you, you can see it in society is like we try to d- deny certain parts of our society and say you don't belong you just mm-hmm. you, you can't exist go away mm-hmm. and that doesn't you're, you're wasting so much energy doing that mm-hmm. the kind of um enforcement of like this let's say this group of people they don't belong here get out like they just can't exist you're spending so much energy doing that when you could actually just say you know what you're part of us let's develop a good relationship let's communicate and Mm -hmm. that would be so much easier to do that Mm -hmm. and that it's definitely true for yourself the different parts of your being you could spend so much energy trying to encapsulate all your shadow contents all your shame all your trauma just put it in a little box and hide it but Mm -hmm. it's like you have to keep like sitting on it all mm-hmm. the time. And it's like, it wants to blow up out and you're just like trying to force it down, wasting so much energy. And it's like, let it out. Mm-hmm. Not all at once. Cause you might just, you know, you might destroy yourself. If you let it out all at once, but, <laughs> but you know, piece by piece, learn yeah. to develop the right relationship with the, with these contents. Yeah. In, in, uh, I'm thinking of some people who work with trauma use that term titration, where I, mm-hmm. I understand it to mean like letting s- just the smallest amounts of trauma out at a time. And it seems like titration with shadow is probably a good approach, like letting letting bits of the shadow deflate and come out so that it doesn't, it's not just like one explosion. But I imagine that if you repress it for too long, you probably could have a shadow explosion as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a good point. The tit- titration is, I've never heard that before, but that's actually a good word for this sort of dripping like drip 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 mm-hmm. like what what the shadow drip out mm-hmm. just a little bit at a time um and you can actually deal with that maybe maybe the, the drip comes onto the floor and you, you know how to actually clean that up and kind of mm-hmm. um you know clean up that mess a little bit or find a way to integrate it properly but if you just open the floodgates and you just wash away you just yeah. drown yourself yeah that's not that's not a good approach and i think definitely the same can be said for for your shadow contents is, um, you know, you might have a traumatic childhood. You might have uh, a very traumatic memory. And part of shadow work might be something around, just write down this memory. Just write it down once and don't look at it for a while. And maybe we'll come back to it like in a week. 
and then we'll maybe write down a little bit more, and then we'll come back to it in a week. And that can work, and that's that's a good way to approach therapy. But if you try forcing someone to relive a traumatic memory, like, go to it, go to it now, like, what was it like, what happened, like, relive it, relive it, like, that doesn't help. It just makes the trauma even worse. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to kind of have this titration, as you're saying, a little, a little bit at a time, a little piece at a time, and be in it for the long game. Acknowledge that this is like a 10-year process, not a 10-day process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as you said at the beginning, you know, as we turn, the shadow turns. So I, and I'd mm-hmm. never thought of this, the possibility that you can be opening up parts of your shadow and creating new shadows potentially. Yeah. So there is, there is a kind of like, perhaps an endless quality to what do, what do I not know? Like, what am I mm-hmm. hiding from myself? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a balancing act. And, you know, there's, there's things that we're not paying attention to enough that need our attention. Maybe we have a relationship that's gone sour and we've just ignored it. We've just said, I don't have time for this. Like, I, I, I don't have time to talk to my dad right now because I'm just too busy. And, you know, you might decide at one point, well, you know what, actually it is time to talk to my dad. And you turn a lot of your attention to this relationship with your father and maybe you start to integrate that shadow. But when you do that, it's possible that like your relationship with your significant other starts to suffer because mm-hmm. you're not paying enough attention mm-hmm. to them. And then, you know, so you, you can turn your attention in different directions, but as you do that, you're always sort of turning away your attention from something else. And that's what's so difficult. Mm-hmm. It's a sort of balancing act of all these things in our lives that, require us to focus on them all the time it stretches us thin and it's impossible to really give adequate attention to all aspects of your life all the time Mm -hmm. and that's that's what's important to understand is that every relationship you have every activity that you're engaged in every group that you're a part of there's shadow contents that are there Mm -hmm. always Mm -hmm. and they might build up over time and so it's important to just kind of as much as you can do maintenance, like have a little bit of a conversation with your significant other once a week, just to make sure, like, is there anything that we're not talking about? Is there anything that happened that I'm not paying attention to? Did, did I do anything to hurt you? You know, a little conversation every now and then it does that maintenance on that shadow. It brings what's not being confronted up to the surface to be dealt with. And you do that with your father and then you do that with your friends and you do that with your job. And Mm -hmm, this whole mm -hmm. idea of, Whatever is sort of implicitly happening, if you can just a little bit at a time make it explicit, bring it up into the light and talk about it. You know, we've been putting off this confrontation of you said something to me a month ago at a party and it really, really pissed me off it really, or it really hurt me. And we haven't talked about it. I'm ready to talk about it for an hour. And then, you know, piece by piece, you kind of keep the shadow into the light. You keep the contents up into the explicit realm. Mm-hmm. And that way you can actually manage this. Otherwise, you just develop all these blind spots. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing like a lot, a lot was coming up as you were talking. And mm-hmm. one of them is this like, essentially you're talking about a ritual perhaps where yeah. I'm thinking of my very first boyfriend. We had this thing that we came up with called a boyfriend check-in mm-hmm. where I think it was once a month we would have a boyfriend check-in and it was a ritual. And it was just, it was an opportunity to bring up those types of things that you, it's like, 
it's so hard to stop someone and say, hey, can we have a conversation? Because then it's like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. But when you have these mechanisms or rituals like a boyfriend check-in, it's like, I know that there's going to be a point to address this mm-hmm. and that's the place for it. And I don't have to like do a big dramatic confrontation. And so it sort of feels like, oh yeah, that like it'd be great to have a boyfriend check-in with all the important people in my life. It's like, okay, every month there's this opportunity to to do maintenance kind of and 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 then the other thing that came to mind was identity i've noticed you know i've sort of been transitioning from being a filmmaker into an identity of a shame educator so like mm. idea that i made up and as i'm creating this new identity i'm creating all this new shadow and i'm starting to notice the shadow of being a shame educator. Like suddenly I'm noticing new types of envy arise related to like shame and, and knowledge and, you know, like things that I didn't experience as a filmmaker. So like my mm. shame work has brought me a lot of great things, but just by kind of creating this new identity and evolving, there's all this new shadow realm, which is yeah. like fascinating. And, and I hadn't thought of it quite as shadow but as you're talking, I'm realizing that's exactly what it is. By mm. by creating this this almost ego structure of a new identity that really feels good, it props me up, mm. it just naturally throws a shadow on its opposite or on its weaknesses or vulnerabilities. Right, right. And we're getting into some more abstract territory here, but I think I think you're making an excellent point. And the the shadow as a concept and used in this sort of broad sense, it really is like a universal thing. And mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of ties into like the dialectic with, uh, you know, Hegel's idea that every time you sort of take an action, it's like a thesis. Mm-hmm. Anytime you kind of make a move or you develop a new project or system, there's this response to that that develops, which is like the, the antithesis. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so no matter what you do, there's always some sort of anti-response mm-hmm. to whatever whatever it is you are creating or, or being or doing or saying. And it's this kind of weird thing, but you, you can really see it everywhere. It's almost like a kind of waste that forms. It's not really the right word, but like if you're going to cook a dinner, there's going to be all these scraps, these food scraps that come from it. There's going to be these eggshells. There's going to be dirty dishes. And it's like pr- producing the dinner actually resulted in all this stuff that needs to be cleaned up. That's a really contrived example, but I, th- but I think it works, which is mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. everything you do starts to develop this shadow. It develops something that's kind of forming around it of negative energy that needs to be reintegrated properly. It needs to be processed properly. And if you don't do it, if you just cook 10 dinners in 10 nights and you never <laughs> clean up, Right. It's going to overwhelm you and suddenly you have this huge mess in your house and you're just like, oh God. Like, and it's I, contaminating your dinner. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you can get sick and then shadows leak into new shadows and it spreads. Um, and that's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's a really interesting point you're making that you, you've taken on this new identity and you've kind of started exploring a different realm of being or a different version of yourself. But you, doing this actually creates this sort of strange shadow reaction to that where mm-hmm. there's all this sort of negative energy or um not even negative maybe but just sort of unseen energy that starts to kind of bubble up around whatever you're doing and you're finding there's new things that you actually need to process and integrate and clean up and if you don't it'll overwhelm you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm also 
kind of having an interesting realization related to shame, because in, in affect theory, one way to look at shame is a reaction to an expectation about ourselves that isn't met. Mm. And it's very similar to this sort of, um, what was it? Was it a, a duality, did you say? Dialectic, but yeah. A dialectic, yeah. So it's like you have the expectation built up. I am a shame educator. And then mm. anything that doesn't meet that expectation has the potential to create shame because the expectation is what my body assumes is going to lead to thriving and surviving. And if I can't competently predict my abilities to thrive and survive, it's a real danger. So it's 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 maybe not quite as tight as a dialectic, but there's definitely something in shame that's very much about if you create a mental structure that says, this is me and this is what I can do, and you don't do it, your body freaks out a bit and is like, hey, are we going to die? now because you didn't do the thing you said you could do or that you should do. Yeah. So it creates shame as that negative reinforcement that says, figure your shit out, hide this, um, learn how to better be what you said you were going to be, which is related to belonging and survival and competence and all that. Yeah. So yeah. there's like, there does seem to be a real like natural dialectic built into shame as well, perhaps. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, it's a practical point is a lot of um, a lot of this self punishment and the self shaming and these feelings of ina- inadequacy are really kind of self imposed, mm-hmm. and it's important to really examine that. I mean, I've spent a lot of time having to examine this because I keep running into this problem where I'm totally punishing myself for not living up to my own ridiculous expectations. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And it's been an issue for me. I, I I have high standards for myself and I always have. Yeah. And that's good. It's good to push yourself. It's good to say, you know what, you can be better. You can you can do this. You can achieve this thing that you want to achieve, no matter how unlikely it might seem. Um, but you do end up failing when you set your standards high and you fail a lot. And mm-hmm. I've definitely had a, a difficult relationship with myself in punishing myself for saying you failed you dummy, you're mm-hmm. not good enough to do this. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah, you're making a really interesting point of creating expectations for yourself does result in this shadow because it, it, the expectation kind of paradoxically creates this potential for failure that wouldn't be there if you didn't have the expectation in the first place. Exactly. And that's and that's what's so interesting about this. So it's, it strikes me, you know, that there is probably some almost Buddhist uh, relationship to the shadow, wherein if we don't concretize things quite as much in our brain, then there's less of, uh, there's less opacity, there's just sort of like more freedom. Mm-hmm. Does that resonate at all? Yeah, yeah, I think there there is sort of a, uh, a yin-yang balance is kind of like how I like to phrase it. And I'm not sure if I'm using this properly as far as uh, the Tao goes, but um, there's this kind of yang way of being, which is really like reaching out and grasping and being active and kind of trying to structure and control things. And there's kind of this yin way of being that's sort of more about letting go and letting mm-hmm. things come to you and mm-hmm. taking things as they come, going with the flow. Um, and those things really need to be in balance within you. So I, I think the idea creating a lot of expectations on yourself is very yang mm-hmm. you might say you're creating these structures and saying this is now the standard i must meet and you're building some up some kind of 
big cathedral of um, this is where I need to go and this is what I need to become and I'm going to build this amazing structure and that's very yang, that kind of like building, structuring, ordering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do that and you might do it in a pathological way where you're grasping way too hard and you're ordering way too hard and you're expecting things that are completely unrealistic and the more yin approach would be to sort of understand what's not in your control, to understand your limitations, to know that maybe where you are is fine mm-hmm. and that maybe what you've accomplished is actually really beautiful and good and you should be you should be happy with what you've done. And maybe you don't need to make this promotion, let's say that's kind of stereotypical. Maybe you don't need to... Um, you know, succeed in this podcast that you're doing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of ways that really, if you're, if you're living a wise life, there has to be some sort of notion of it's okay where I am and I'm okay and I don't need to keep pushing myself. And there's a balance, right? Because you can be way too yin. You can just say, mm-hmm. eh, there's just no point in anything. <laughs> and that's, that's not good. That's not healthy. But at the same time, you have to recognize, and I have to recognize, because this is the kind of person I am, I'm, I'm incredibly yain. Um, I have to recognize that like, where I'm at is actually pretty good. Who I am is actually okay. And I don't need to achieve as much as I think I do. And I don't need to be so ashamed of myself mm-hmm. for not achieving the things that I set out to achieve maybe five years ago. It's like I realized those weren't actually very realistic and embrace that give yourself a hug and say, you know what? Good job. You did good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I completely resonate with that. I think I'm also very yang mm-hmm. and I have these strong structures in my brain and they cast long shadows and they're not always realistic. And that results in shame coming up. And sometimes I have to remind myself like, of course I'm feeling shame because I created this really big expectation. Mm-hmm. And the shame work has helped me to see that, like, just because I'm feeling shame, that doesn't mean what I used to think it meant. Doesn't It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It just means you had a really big expectation and you didn't quite know how to live up to it, and that's okay. In fact, now you see more clearly what it really does take to live up to it. You know, that's yeah. the, like, reframe of failure as learning that's really helped me. But it's sort of like embracing my shame and saying, like, just because I'm feeling shame it doesn't mean that I actually did a bad thing or that I'm a bad person. That's just like a completely natural reaction to the way I've structured my expectations. So it sounds like there might be an interesting uh, analog for shadow there as well, wherein I might, I don't know, uh, be more open to embracing these dark, uncomfortable ideas because it's like, well, they're not actually uncomfortable. They're just in relation to my structure of the thing I built in my head, they're uncomfortable. But from another perspective, they're not. Right. I wonder if that if that lands for you as well. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, one way that I've kind of thought about it in the past is there's, you know, there's parts of you that you don't, those parts of you don't feel like it's okay to come out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that, that might be because you've shamed them and you're continuing to uphold this structure that says you don't belong, you're not good enough, stay in the darkness where you belong, you know? Um, and in, in many ways, we, we do need to find some sort of path towards forgiveness and saying, 
I'm not ashamed of you or you sh- you know, this, this part of you that you've banished, like you shouldn't be ashamed of yourself. It's, it's okay. Like you did, you did everything you could have done. You tried your best and that's admirable. And, you know, kind of leaning into the pain and leaning into yeah. the ways in which you've actually suffered and letting yourself feel the pain yeah. is even part of this. Cause part of, part of the, the, way that we create a shadow is we also just deny feeling the things that we were mm-hmm. actually supposed to feel in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't feel afraid as a kid because I needed to be strong. I needed to be a man. I needed to prove to people that I was strong. And therefore I told myself, I can't feel any fear, mm-hmm. no fear ever. Mm-hmm. And you're not actually not experiencing fear. You're just not showing it. You're not embracing it. And so it gets, buried inside of you and your body just accumulates all this repressed um drive to experience fear and so letting yourself be afraid and say you know it's okay for me to be afraid uh it's 2020 and the world's ending it's okay for me to feel afraid (laughs) it's okay to be like oh my god i don't know what's going on i don't know what's happening here uh i am afraid of the future i'm afraid of where this is going and it's healthy yeah. There's a, there's a balance to it. You know, don't, don't let yourself descend into this dark spiral of just like, Oh my God, you know, you, you don't want to do that, but it, you want to, if it's time to experience sadness, be sad. And if it's time to be afraid, be afraid. And you know, if you did mess up and you, it's time to acknowledge that you messed up, acknowledge it. But we actually don't do that very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make this general statement because, because I think it's true. I think especially men, like a lot of men really struggle with feeling things and they just deny their feelings and say, no, I don't feel fear. I don't feel mm-hmm. pain. Mm-hmm. I don't get cold. I don't need to wear a jacket because I don't get cold. And, you know, there's, there's this kind of stoicism, dare I say, that is present in men that really... um they just deny themselves and all that happens is all that fear and all that pain and all that, those feelings of weakness, they just get buried. They don't actually disappear. They just go to some place where you can no longer access them. And then you have to do this difficult work of accessing them and 20 years down the road when you have a midlife crisis or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As usual, there's like 10,000 things that came up as you were talking. And now I'm like, which one do I grasp onto? But I I really resonated when you talked at first about um, allowing ourselves to feel the pain that, Mm -hmm. you know, like when I, when shame would come up, I would be like, don't feel this, run from this. And by not allowing myself to feel shame, I was actually allowing shame to control me because there were all these strategies related to avoiding shame that was doing what shame wanted. It's usually like fight or flight responses. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to run away to avoid this shame. And shame's Mm -hmm. like, great, run away from this situation because I think it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So just learning to feel the pain of shame and not react to it the way I used to was, was huge. And then the other thing that really came up for me is that Shame is considered, in affect theory, the the emotion that overpowers other emotions. So, for mm-hmm. example, shame is said to bind with other emotions. Like Gershon Kaufman talks about shame binding with fear. So, mm-hmm. every time, if your fear is shamed, just as you said, you're not allowed to feel fear. A lot of people, a lot of men have this. Mm-hmm. Then shame will come up and squish fear down mm-hmm. as shame is wont to do. 
And so every time fear comes up, it immediately gets squished by shame. So it seems like shame does have like a real kind of, if that theory is true, a real role in squishing things into the shadow. Like, you know, you're not acceptable, squished. Oh, this emotion, not acceptable, squished. Or this emotion, too scary, too overwhelming, too unpleasant, squished. Yeah. So I, I really resonated with what you're saying. And it mm. feels like, um, for me at least, in, in the shame world, like shame is a real kind of enforcer mm-hmm. of, of repression and shadow. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The more we talk about this, more the more I feel like our our work is pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, it's like, totally. Yeah, it's like you're talking about shame, and it's like, yeah, that's just like it's really just like a different way to phrase what I've been phrasing with the shadow. Yeah, I, I suspected that this was the case because yeah. it's like so like yeah, it's like for me, it's like oh well, shame is a is like the bouncer of shadow, kind of. Right, right. I like that the shadow bouncer. It's interesting. But shadow definitely does seem to kind of be its own realm as well, beyond just the mechanism of shame. Yeah, I mean, there's a really, you know, there's a lot of literature on the shadow, obviously, and Yun definitely wrote about this pretty extensively. So there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's that where it's like the realm of the shadow has been explored in all these very deep ways. And so um, you can't, you know, you can't necessarily just reduce it down to shame. I'm certainly not trying to do that. Neither are you, but... Well, I'm going to try. <laughs> okay. no, I'm kidding. But I'm kidding. One of what we're talking about um, with shame is is you're you're tapping into exactly this this process, which is uh, squishing things down and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. binding to other emotions and squishing them down into the mm-hmm. in, under the surface. So this kind of pushing things below and banishing things, as I keep saying, or uh, ignoring parts of you. It's you're you're describing shame as this this mechanism by which that happens, and I think that I think that's right. And I hadn't really used that word; I hadn't really thought of it in that way. But I think it's exactly right that it's it's this enforcer that takes things from the surface in the light and it casts them down into the shadow mm-hmm. world, into the nether realm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you can take it even further, like the way when I hear affect theory and they talk about shame as this emotional attenuator, like it diminishes emotion. Mm -hmm. What comes up for me is emotion as a motivator. And I see all of our unpleasant emotions as uh, a negative motivator, as in it repulses us away from something that we assume is bad for our survival. Mm -hmm. Whereas the pleasant emotions are an attractor, a a positive motivator. So Mm -hmm. they're saying, come hither to these things that we assume will keep us alive. And in affect theory, shame is seen as the switch from positive motivation to negative motivation, which is to say from attraction to repulsion. So it mm-hmm. kind of makes sense if that is true, that when something gets thrown into the shadow, it's it's kind of being taken from the realm of being seen and being okay and pushed into the the repulsion zone where it's literally being repulsed like right out of our awareness, not just away from us physically for safety, but like, don't even think about it, run from it, you know, all of these things, like, like two poles of a magnet. So it does seem that whether you call that, um, that point shame, that there is some kind of 
event horizon between the two, where something goes from the light of attraction into the black hole of repulsion. Right. And then maybe there's a neutral zone as well. I don't know. But they're, they're, I don't know. Does that theory um, like connect with you at all? It does. It does. I feel like it's tapping into other theories that I have, other ideas that I've played with, with um, the kind of notion of fight or flight and mm-hmm. our, our uh, very animalistic, very old way of responding to uh, chaos, essentially, or, or mm-hmm. some sort of problem, something that is that appears to us that's like, that's not right. That's not supposed to be there. You know, animals, they'll run or they might attack. Mm-hmm. And we kind of have that primitive circuitry that's been um, exapted upwards increasingly into an abstract realm of the mind. And we'll take anything that kind of represents chaos or some sort of uh, something that's not coherent with what we want or uh, seems to disrupt our balance, um, whatever that means. And uh, what I call it is sort of conquer or conceal mm-hmm. is we have a tendency to want to go towards it and say, I'm going to engage with this. I'm going to resolve it or I'm going to explore it or I'm going to see what's, you know, what's, what is it made of? And maybe there's actually something good in there. Maybe there's actually something juicy in this thing that I don't understand. Or there's conceal, which is like, get it out of my sight. And so we, we kind of have these two different ways of approaching mysteries in our life Mm -hmm. or things that present themselves as sort of a, uh, a problem or, um, a disruption is like we, in our mind, in this very strange way, we will actually gravitate towards solving it or exploring it or unpacking it, or we'll actually try to conceal it somehow and say it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of run away in our minds and so that's that's what comes up for me when you're bringing this up is this this sort of process and shame does I think kind of describe this sort of running away this sort of uh, the flight mm-hmm. mode of being in which like we encounter something that like really doesn't make us feel very good or uh, is kind of a problem or some sort of contradiction of self mm-hmm. where it's like you failed, mm-hmm. you know, like that's a contradiction of the story. It's like the story was to succeed, but we mm-hmm. didn't succeed. So what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And in our mind, we might just run away from it. And that's, that's, I think often what shame is doing mm-hmm. is it's just mm-hmm. burying this thing. Mm-hmm. You don't deal with it properly. You just kind of sweep it under the rug. What comes up for me is that um, Donald Nathanson has this, uh, concept of the compass of shame, mm. which is what he th- he sees as the four most common reactions to shame. Mm. And it does, it connects directly with what you're saying, and it also connects with fight or flight. And the, the four points of the compass are attack other, which I think you could connect with this conquer mm-hmm. thing. The other one is attack self, which is, you know, like the self-critic, you know, self-loathing. And then there's the pole of withdrawal, which is the classic, just like run away from it physically. Mm-hmm. And then there's the pole of avoid, deny. Mm-hmm. And that is like the, exactly as you're saying, it's the psychological equivalent of our flight response. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm not just running away physically, I'm running away in my mind as well. Right. And so shame is seen to kind of put us into all these different strategies to change, mm. to change, because whatever is, is not what we thought it was supposed to be. Mm. And I think that that really connects to kind of to what you're saying. 
Absolutely. Something specific that you brought up, um, attack self, I think is really an interesting thing. And this is something else I've thought about a a lot is that there's a a response that a lot of people have to shame that is lash out. Yeah. You know, where it's like, they're not feeling good. They're feeling anxious. They're feeling like someone has made them feel bad, whatever reason. And they might actually lash out at someone. And people in romantic relationships experience this a lot. I think totally. where, where their partner is lashing out at them, and you're kind of saying, "Why are you? Why are you attacking me? Like I didn't do anything." And they're just they're just finding some way to um, channel that shame. Mm-hmm. And what is what is so much more difficult than well, that's pretty difficult. But th- th- something that I think is more difficult <laughs> is when the response to shame is to lash in mm-hmm. to attack self. And because because what's tough is because you can't see it from the outside, and so you might have a friend or you might be in a relationship with someone and they keep lashing inward, Mm -hmm. but you can't see it because it's not explicit. It's very implicit. And that's partly what can become so difficult for uh, that kind of individual is they have these downward spirals of self-attack, self-attack, and they can kind of fall into this, this pattern of lashing inward, lashing inward. And it has this really bad feedback loop because there's nothing inside to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone on the outside lashing out, there actually is something that you can do often to sort of break that cycle. And it's not not simple, but I just think it's, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently mm-hmm. is this sort of lashing in and how difficult that is to, to um, engage with and to help someone heal. Yeah. I think that I do a form of lashing in mm-hmm. that manifests as people-pleasing. It's mm. like, I'm attacking myself, I'm bad, I'm, I screwed up, it's all my fault. So the way I engage with other people is this sort of sycophantic, desperate, like whatever, whatever you say, like whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever your needs are, mm. must be good because mine are terrible, mine are awful, mine are flawed. Mm. So I feel like the, the way that we can kind of notice that sometimes, at least in my case, is when I go into this, like, I have no opinion, whatever you say is great. And that is like a kind of like tip of the iceberg for me that on the inside, I'm feeling shame and I'm blaming myself for that shame. It's like, it's my failing. The, sh- the shame is my fault. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And uh, it's a little easier to be around, honestly. But it yeah. doesn't, it's not easier for the person experiencing it, but I, I've definitely had a lot of friendships and some romantic relationships where my partner has been someone who does this and, um, it's tough and, you know, they want to, uh, kind of, um, deny their own needs or deny their own healing or deny their own processing mm-hmm. in favor of just sort of letting the other person kind of, um, take up the space of the relationship. And they say, just like, whatever you want to do is fine. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I, whatever, whatever needs you have, I will focus on your needs at the expense of my own needs. Cause that's easier. And it, it, it is a tough pattern. And, you know, I've, I've been working with someone very close to me for a long time to kind of engage with this pattern and try to find ways to break out of that cycle of, uh, self-denial lashing inward, um, self needs being totally ignored in favor of everyone else's needs. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Those people are vulnerable. It's all I was going to say. It's like they, they really need to, to be around people that aren't going to take advantage of them and abuse them. 
It, it's it's very alive for me because we're moving into or I'm moving into trying to do coaching. Yeah. And I'm aware that with shame and especially with like attack self and people pleasing, there's like one's own a need for autonomy is not being met. And mm-hmm. it's disempowering. And it's when I go into attack self, I'm literally lowering myself on this fictional hierarchy of human value in my brain. And I'm like, you guys are all above me. And I'm down here on this mm-hmm. hierarchy that doesn't exist. And so it's it's tricky, but in coaching, there's an, an implicit power structure. And it's like, I want to be able to connect with someone in a way where I'm empowering them, mm-hmm. but th- I'm empowering them towards equality. So it's not like it's not like I'm the hero. It's like I want you to see how you're just as capable as who this person who's coaching you. You're just as capable as that yeah. because I feel like that's the, you know, let's honor your autonomy and your ability. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like, it's a very tricky thing to do because I think ultimately we do have to meet our own need for autonomy ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important to be autonomous and, um, you know, there's, codependence is a bad thing and that's sort of uh being overly overly interlocked with someone and uh denying your own needs but there's there's also the opposite which is sort of um counter dependent which is like insisting on being so autonomous that like you can't really share anything with anyone else and uh that's i'm i'm kind of more of a counter dependent type person (laughs) Mm -hmm, and i've mm -hmm. had to kind of work with that is like how to not need to be alone basically and how to not need to have everything that's like sort of my way and getting more into the idea of being interdependent with people. Mm-hmm. But, but that's a kind of a, an, an aside, um, becoming autonomous, being, being self-sufficient, kind of being okay, being alone. Those are all really important things to develop for anyone so that you can, you know, make the choice to be in relationships. And part of the the bad cycles we see, I think, with a lot of people is they don't choose to be in relationships as much as they just sort of feel like they can't function without them. And so mm-hmm. they end up falling into relationships that actually aren't very good for them because they don't know how to be alone. Mm-hmm. So that's an, that's an important thing to develop is this autonomy and especially if you can develop the kind of autonomy of, of self-healing and developing strategies for self-coaching mm-hmm. that's a mm-hmm. really amazing thing for someone to acquire the kind of idea that like you know uh give a man a fish he eats for a day teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime that's mm-hmm. that's a, a definitely a, a powerful thing to aim for i think as a coach is teaching people how to how to fish mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally and i feel like this all very very much about self-awareness versus shadow once again that mm. it's being able to see oh i'm i'm moving into this relationship out of like a, this sort of desperate impulse when i and i'm not meeting this other need like so much of that was stuff that i just wasn't aware of i didn't see it was all covered in confusion and shadow mm-hmm. and so it's like it it really is the clarity that can come from shadow work, I'm mm-hmm. imagining, to be able to see, oh, like, there is a desire for me to have respect and power and control of my own. I don't just want to be s- desperately connected to others. Yeah. And that is something that I was hiding from myself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I think uh, another good metaphor that I like for shadow work is sort of creating mirrors. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the tools that you kind of employ for shadow work serve as mirrors in in ways that you know this idea that the shadow is always behind you and like you can never see like the back of your head or you can never see um let's say your own back mm-hmm. but and you're always kind of trying to look around and see what's what's behind me what's behind me but you never can and every time you turn you still can't see your own back and you turn again and you still can't see your own back and a lot of shadow work takes aim at creating some kind of mirror where you can actually see your own back because you have this mm-hmm. mirror now to look mm-hmm. at it. And that, like a double mirror almost. Yeah, yeah, or many mirrors. And you can see mm-hmm. all kinds of different angles of, of yourself um, to really understand your own shape and your own form and your own way of moving through the world and the kinds of things that you don't normally pay attention to. That's a lot of a lot of shadow work, I think, is hopefully going to provide you with those tools to really see yourself with the kind of clarity that you don't have when you're sort of locked in your own subjective point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. I love that. So if people want to go deeper into shadow work, like we've talked about it really in theory, mm-hmm. but I'm imagining that, you know, there are practices that you're employing at the STOA or in your podcasts. Yeah. Where can people go to engage more deeply with you and your work and shadow work in general? What are some resources you can provide us with? Well, you can certainly follow me at Aaron Rogerson on all social media and you can see the work I'm doing. Uh, the Golden Shadow Podcast is the uh, show that I run with my friend Alyssa that explores a lot of these topics. Um, the Golden Shadow is actually a metaphor that we really like a lot, which is that the shadow is made of gold because there's so much power and potential in bringing it up to the surface. Um, and as far as... Um, resources for shadow work i think um there's a lot of good books out there um meeting the shadow is like a good beginner's book i would say it's by connie zweig i believe um and that has a lot of basics and sort of some ideas for getting started on shadow work but um some basic things you can do are just to start journaling that's really simple just Mm. start writing down how you're feeling you can write anything. There's no, there's not really any wrong way to journal. And that creates a mirror. Like that's like that idea again is you externalize your thoughts. You put them down into an object, which is a piece of paper or your computer. And once it's external, you can actually look at it and you can see yourself through the words you wrote. Whereas if you're just trying to process things from your subjective perspective, you can't get out of yourself. Mm-hmm. You need a mirror. And so mm-hmm. journaling serves as a mirror. You can say, okay, what did I write two months ago? Let's go back and see. It's like, wow, two months ago, I was really depressed and I didn't realize it. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like looking back at this externalized object, my journal entry, I can see myself. I can see like my own shadow. And, you know, other than that, using things like tarot, uh, doing sort of mythological play where you sort of insert yourself into some sort of fictional realm as a story. Mm -hmm. Um, You can try to, there's all kinds of games you can look up, but there's things like trying to, um, you have a list of words and every, every time uh, you look at one word, like let's say the word is tree 
you just write down your response, immediate response to that word. It might be like one word Mm -hmm. um, where it's like the the word is tree. Your response is fall for some reason. Just really quick, just instinctually do it. And if you do this with a lot of words, you begin to see patterns where it's like you, you are sort of associating lots of words with pain or loss or failure. And again, you're sort of creating this mirror for yourself of like, oh my God, I can see the unconscious. I can see the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all kinds of little exercises like that. And, you know, we'll be exploring a lot of these ideas at the STOA with uh, the, the uh, shadow play series, which is going to be every Friday um, until the shadow, sorry, not, not the shadow, until the, st- until the STOA ends or doesn't mm-hmm. end. But mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of these exercises we'll be playing with in a live group setting which should be interesting awesome yeah i've been to a few of aaron's sessions and they're really cool uh like really interesting imaginal work and i'm excited to go to more i'll put a bunch of links to the stuff you mentioned Mm. in the show notes as well but i'm really starting to see like shadow work as finding different perspectives on yourself like just any way that you can kind of see yourself as associated with something or from a new angle mm. or from a different time stamp or something like that is like, just seems like a really, that seems to be kind of one of the connectors. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good way to phrase it. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I, I really love to kind of like see the connection between shame and shadow, but also see that there is a lot more to it. And I'm kind of excited to, to go beyond just the gatekeeper, uh, you know, shame and see, <laughs> the shadow landscape more in myself. Um, So I really appreciate you coming. Yeah, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Let's do it again.